Hello everybody, this is the Analog Park podcast episode number six and in today's episode uh, I have a guest. My guest is Carl Pullin. Uh, Carl is a productivity and time management coach who has helped thousands of people uh, around the world to get better at managing their time and become more productive using technology they carry around every day. Hello Carl. Hello and thank you for having me. And uh, although Carl is a productivity expert uh, in the field of uh, applications and systems, we're going to focus today a little bit more on uh, on analog stuff, if we can, of course, because I think in the 21st century, it can be difficult not to talk about technology. That's true. That is true. <laughs> and so uh, Carl's purpose is to help people learn how to manage their time so they can enjoy their lives and build a life they are truly proud of. And uh, also uh, one uh, thing that I have seen in Carl's bio, uh, which is uh, uh, cool, is that Carl has a bachelor's degree degree in law. Mm. And I am working. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I am working at a law firm uh, right now because I mm-hmm. uh, I am a director at a law firm. I'm not a lawyer. I was very surprised to, to know that you you have studied law. And uh, could you mm. please tell me uh, why haven't you pursued this career further? Why haven't you become an attorney? Well, that goes back a little bit further. When I was in high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So uh, when I finished high school, I went into the hotel industry and did hotel management for four years. Um, Fantastic career, uh, hotel management. Well, it certainly was in the early 90s. I'm not so sure now, but the early 90s, it was a fantastic career because it was all about service Mm -hmm. and less about efficiencies and savings, which came into it in the late 1990s. Uh, that's why I left. And then I went into the uh, car industry and I sold cars for about two or three years. So if you're looking back, those are the kind of the jobs I was doing before I went to law school, before I went to university. But the thing was, is none of those jobs involved sitting at a desk in an office for Mm. eight hours a day. So after graduating from law school, working in a law firm, suddenly I'm being told to sit down for eight hours a day and not basically move. Um, and that is just not me. And, but unfortunately I did not know that when I start decided I wanted to become a lawyer. Um, so I suffered for 18 months and thought, oh dear, I've spent six years of my life studying for law. And I really, really hate this as a career. It's not the law. I love reads. I still read, uh, legal documents, it was the, the, the way that we worked. It was, you know, sitting in an office, uh, just is not me. I can't do it. Uh, so I need some time out. So that's why actually that's how I ended up in Korea. That's how I ended up teaching English. Uh, and that's how I ended up where I am today with productivity and time management. Um, but it was simply because I should have known. I mean, you can read stories about people the same (laughs) that I was, I could not sit still at school. Uh, If I look back in those, my my mother kept all my school reports and they all say the same thing. He cannot sit still. So the warning sign was there. (laughs) I was never going to fit into an office where you have to stay sat down all day. Just no way. I can't do that. I still can't do that. (laughs) And that that is why you are running marathons today also, because you can sit still. Yeah, I can't sit still. It's why when when the uh, standing desks became like more accessible, like easier to buy, that was like a, a game changer for me because I can stay up, stand up all day, and because I can move behind my desk, it's it's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what was the path between uh, you uh, deciding that uh, the a lawyer uh, career is not for you because you have to move around and uh, and becoming a productivity expert? Uh, right now. Well, it was, I took a year out just to decide my future, to kind of think about my future. I thought, okay, this is not going to work. And I was in my, well, I think I was about 29, 30 at this stage. And I thought, okay, I need a year out. I need some time to think. But, you know, when you're 29, 30 years old, you need an income. Yeah. It's not like mummy and daddy are supporting me anymore. So um, I thought, what can I do? So somebody actually told me while I was at, at university, um, they said, why don't you go and teach English in Asia? 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, Asia is a place I've always wanted to go. I've been, I studied it at school at history and it just seems to be a fascinating place. So I chose Korea. And the funny story there is I chose Korea simply because uh, the cost of beer, um, you're in Poland, so I should do this in euros. It was probably about one euro 20 for yeah. uh, 500 milliliters. But in <laughs> England at that time, it would have been four or five, maybe five or six euros. So the cost difference was huge. So I chose Korea. I thought it was great. And actually the the cost of living in general in, in Korea, and even today to a point, is still cheaper than living in Europe. So, uh, but I very quickly fell in love with you, uh, with Korea. I also mm-hmm. fell in love with teaching. And I, that was something that was never on my radar. But okay. wow, I just teaching was just something that I absolutely loved. And it sort of like came from there. But productivity and time management has been in my life since I was at middle school. Um, yeah, I, I was, we're talking about analog stuff. I mean, for me doing my revision uh, study timetables, I would spend hours drawing out lines with a pencil and then, and really writing in when I was going to study. I was terrible at studying, but I was great at making study timetables. <laughs> and, you know, so, so that, that was, that was where my whole productivity thing started from, but connecting the dots. So if you remember the Steve Jobs, uh, Stanford commencement yeah, yeah, yeah. speech, talking about connecting the dots. It was something that just a few years ago, I realized, wow, this journey, now looking back, I can see where it all came from. Uh, you are saying that your mission is to help an, uh, everyone achieve their maximum potential. Uh, mm-hmm. I would like to ask you how to know what is your maximum potential. Well, if we're being honest, human potential is unlimited. Yeah. Um, and I can give you the analogy of this is um, we have an English word, word called lunatic. Now, mm-hmm. lunatic uh, in English means uh, crazy, mad, stupid, whatever. But the origins of that word actually comes back to the early 1900s when people used to say, you know, one day somebody's going to be walking on the moon. And they used uh-huh. to say lunatic. Luna is, you know, the, the Latin yeah. word. Um, but actually, just 60 years later, actually less than that, probably 40 years later, man did work on the moon. So human potential is incredible. I mean, I believe it's actually unlimited. The problem we have, obviously, is time and technology. We need to develop that. And one of the things I did about three years ago, uh, I st- there was a documentary movie came out on Netflix Yeah. called Unsung Heroes, The Story of Mission Control. And it's about the NASA's space mission. So from the Saturn rockets through to the Apollo missions, and actually over, also including this, the shuttle. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that, watch that, that documentary, you are just amazed at what human beings can do. When we apply ourselves, it's incredible what we can do. Because when John F. Kennedy said in that famous speech that uh, within a decade, we're going to put a man on the moon and bring him back to Earth safely, you know, people were laughing and saying, nah, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. We can't do that. We did it. Yeah. Just inside the decade, uh, the 20th of July, 1969, but they did it. And if you watch that documentary, and there's actually a book as well, it is just unbelievable what human potential is. So the problem with human beings is we have limiting beliefs. Yeah. We don't believe we can do something. But actually, if you can remove those limiting beliefs and understand where they come from, it is amazing what you can do. So, so I, I actually believe that human potential is unlimited. The problem we have, of course, is time, and we need time to develop the technologies to achieve a lot of the things that we would say is impossible today. But it's not impossible forever. Uh, do you think that technology is helping uh, or rather making making it increasingly difficult to uh, to leave those uh, limiting beliefs and to, to set goals and to achieve those goals? I think we can sometimes allow technology to give us limiting beliefs. Um, again, if we if you take the uh, the NASA space mission, I mean, they didn't even have the technology in those days. It was when they started, it was just pens and pieces of paper mm-hmm. and electrical engineers coming together to do things that were considered at that stage impossible. Um, so when you when you start from zero, mm-hmm. and then you think, well, we have to invent this. We have to invent this technology. 
Um, but if we look, if we look at it the other way and say, well, look at the existing technology. Oh, well, it, we can't do it because it, the existing technology is not good enough. There's two ways of looking at it saying, oh, we can't do it because the technology is not there. Or we can say we can do it, but we have to invent the technology first. No, because I, I'm asking because my personal experience is that you can pretty much uh, fall in, in, into a trap of changing the technology you are using in order to structure your day and to plan uh, your tasks and, and, and to, to lead the projects you, you, are, you are making in your life. And so you can switch from a project management tool A to a project management tool B to uh, something else to another strategy. And then you will feel as if you are productive because you're making something towards organizing your time. But basically the technology and the abundance of options you have will make you not productive. We do have to be careful of uh, of not confusing motion with progress yeah. because... Um, This I call this what you were mentioning there is what I call app switching, and app mm -hmm. switching is a terrible, terrible thing to do. But one of the things I advise all my clients to do, uh, and advise everyone through my YouTube and everything, is you start with your system, and your system does not start with technology. You need to decide how you want to organize things first. If if technology can help you, and it isn't if because. Um, I come from the Franklin Planner background, which okay. is all analog, yeah. and that worked brilliantly. And to be, although I switched to a digital environment in 2009, it probably wasn't until around about 2017 that I managed to get technology to work as well as a Franklin Planner. Wow, it's it's almost 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, because the technology was, what was happening was, is that the, the developers, the app developers who are great, amazing people, mm -hmm. but they had a very kind of blinkered view of what a to-do list manager should do. They had a blinkered view what a notes app should do. It worked for them because they designed it, but it ne didn't necessarily work for everyone else. My advice is always start with your system. Start with a blank page and a pen. Absolutely. It's the best way. And uh, there was uh, last year, I think David Allen did a big talk, you know, the author of Getting Things Done. Yeah. He did a, um, a talk at the GTD Summit in Amsterdam. And he actually released his original blueprints for what a GTD-based application should be. And when you look through the blueprints, you realize nobody's come close to creating that because <laughs> it's actually quite complex. Yeah. Everybody But the Franklin Planner the, did it. Have you found an app that today is mimicking how the Franklin Planner worked for you 15 years no. ago or still not? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> yeah. But then, I mean, we we have to move on and and to be fair i mean the franklin planner does have limitations in the fact that it's quite heavy it's a5 in size and carrying that around with you every day is not isn't fun no. <laughs> so i mean there are limitations but um that said i still look at that and i still keep my franklin planner i still have it and i still look at it and think yeah this was a system that worked Okay, so if if uh, our listeners would like to, to start from scratch, the Franklin Planner is a good starting point, basically. It's a great starting point, yeah. Um, it teaches you all the right skills, uh, one of which is the discipline to actually use it. Yeah, this is this is another thing that is very important because you have told uh, that app switching can kill productivity and motion is not progress. And uh, mm -hmm. also, if if you choose a, a tool, then you you have to force yourself at the beginning at least to use it because if you don't use it, it will never never serve you actually. Uh, and tell me, oh, what mm. what do you think about um, about digital detoxes? I think that I think is quite popular uh, last uh, last years uh, uh, people are saying that that technology is uh, somehow limiting how they uh, work and uh, and they take digital detoxes there are phones that mimic the, the Nokia uh, from from 15 years ago um 
again, I mean, if if that's the way people actually really want to, they want to go. I mean, that's absolutely fine. Um, for me, as I said, there was weaknesses with the Franklin Planner. One of them was uh, if you were at a, let's say, I was at a sports game, mm-hmm. uh, watching a game, and suddenly somebody told me a great idea. Yeah, you know, I'm not carrying my Franklin Planner. So there's no way I can get that idea into my system. Yeah. Um, but one of the strengths for me of having an iPhone or any kind of mobile phone today is I've got instant access to my collection tool. And there's no technology that I know of right now that can beat that. Uh, I've actually got to the point now where because I, I actually use an Apple Watch, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have an app on there called Drafts, which I use as my main collecting tool. Uh, and I, even when I'm driving, <laughs> I don't take my hands off the wheel. I don't need to take my eyes off the road. Yeah. You know, I just tap the bottom left-hand corner of my watch and I can say, oh, remember this, or oh, do this, or oh, do that. Pen and paper, how much I love pen and paper. I, I honestly do. And I do um, but in terms of collecting, that's where digital technology is way, way, way above um, um, analog. However, again, it comes back to, are you going to use it? Yeah. Um, I've been using drafts for five years. For me, it's like, boom, it's automatic. I have an idea. I remember to do something straight into drafts. There's no hesitation. But that's a habit I've developed over a number of years. If you had not the possibility to speak to your watch and to um, to say the, the idea you have uh, while driving or while, I don't know, having a shower maybe because mm-hmm. it's also a place where uh, good ideas may appear, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it would somehow limit your possibilities or, or, or you would you would miss opportunities? Uh, Not necessarily, but um, I I know from my own experience that I've had ideas and then they've kind of disappeared (laughs) because I didn't capture them. Um, And actually, to be honest, 90% of the ideas that I do capture, probably nothing ever happens from them. But it's just knowing I have that ability at any time to collect something. And uh, later on uh, in your system, you have uh, a grading tool where you go through your ideas and you say, well, this one is five star and this one is one star. So probably I won't do it. How do you um, work with ideas? Later? No, I mean, for me, it's more a case of because I, I suppose, uh, I think uh, I remember again when I was at school, people say I used to have a one track mind. It was like once I was focused on something, mm-hmm. I was totally focused on it. And so if when I say about collecting ideas, if I'm thinking about uh, like an update to a course or I'm thinking about a new way of explaining something in a YouTube video or a podcast, you know, that's all I'm thinking about. From my perspective, I'm very lucky. I'm not easily distracted. Tell me, because when somebody will go to see your YouTube channel, they will see that uh, a, a lot of the videos you have recorded are about Todoist. And mm-hmm. they will also see that uh, you are pretty consistent at making videos about Todoist. Uh, tell me, why have you chosen Todoist as, as, as this task manager about uh, which you will talk? Well, in terms of my journey, I started with things. Okay. Things one. Yeah. Then things two. And then I moved to OmniFocus. And I loved OmniFocus. I mean, I, I was very much into the OmniFocus community. Mm-hmm. But one of the issues I started to have was that a lot of the features in OmniFocus to me were not helping. But I felt because I was in these communities and I was saying, oh, you've got to try this new way of showing your, your lists and you've got to try that new way of showing lists. And I was really I'm spending too much time reorganizing my lists. Mm-hmm. That doesn't get work done. That might make me think, oh, doesn't my OmniFocus look really nice now because I've got it really <laughs> beautifully organized. But that is not doing the work. Okay. And... I, I, to do this at that stage was on my radar because it really appealed to my aesthetic nature. I love simplicity. I love kind of minimalism. And so, and to do this really, and even today they've kept that design. I realized that to do this has got the power if I ever needed it. But when I don't need it, 
that power is hidden away. Yeah. So I don't, it's not, it's not screaming at me saying, use me, use me, use me, which is <laughs> the problem I was having with OmniFocus. Um, you know, I, I didn't use start dates and yet I'm saying, how can you not use start dates? You know, the features there. I'm thinking, why do I need start dates? A task either needs doing or not doing. I don't need a start date uh, to tell me start this task. <laughs> so, um, but it was, so it was creating quite a bit of conflict in my whole system. And I realized that really productivity systems, it's really all about knowing what you need to do next. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter how well organized your lists are. All that matters is what's showing up on your today list is accurate, correct, and it's kept up to date. And so whether you organize by project, whether you organize by time, whether you organize by context, that doesn't matter. Can you tell me what is the difference between a task manager and the project manager? Because you talk about uh, OmniFocus, which is, I think, uh, rather a project manager than a task manager. What is the difference between the two? Well, task managers basically are managing your daily tasks, the tasks that you have to do. Now, project managers are much more complex than that because there's so many components involved in a project. Now, it depends on what area you're in, but um, you know, if you're in construction area, uh, you've got a lot of timelines because concrete has to be set at a certain time. It has to be done on a certain day. You've got to make sure that the right amount of concrete is delivered at the right time. Mm-hmm. Now, task managers do not do that kind of thing very well. Yeah. Um, but also like if you were, when I'm prepared for me, like in my business, like creating an online course, um, I don't need, my task manager would just not be a good place to do that because it doesn't allow me to put in the, the timelines in terms of when I'm going to be recording the courses. I can use a calendar for that, of course, but I want to see all that in one place related mm-hmm. to one project. And so I haven't found a really good consumer project manager. I know there's some very, very expensive commercial project managers out there, which project managers in general would would swear by. But I found for me, the kind of work that I do, the best project managers are something like OneNote or even Evernote or possibly Notion because I can throw in all sorts of stuff in there. I can create timelines. I can create... Um, Uh, a chart which will tell me who I've delegated work to, what work I'm waiting for. You know, if you tried to keep all that in a task manager, it would just be almost impossible to keep on top of it. Can you please uh, tell us what is your system? You are using drafts, as you said, and uh, and a paper planner and uh, and to doist to to execute upon. What is what is the base? Of, of your system. Well, yeah, if we, if we go back to like the analog side, let's talk about a little bit like uh, developing a project. Yeah. Um, like all my projects are more than likely going to start on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just, as I said, there's, I love my fountain pens and I don't want to give them up. And I know they're very old fashioned now, um, but I still love my fountain pens. I have about 30 in my collection Ooh. and... I don't want to stop using them. I, I think my oldest one, it was a birthday present from my parents when I was 18. And uh, I still actually, I even look on eBay for like 1950s, 1960s fountain pens because that was like the golden era, if you like, of, of the, the modern day fountain pen. But uh, so I start off my project planning uh, with pen and paper and it's just It's basically brainstorming. I don't do mind mapping that much because it doesn't work for the way I think. Uh, I'm more of a list, like listing out ideas. And then I, I'll use arrows to link things to, and I'll use a highlighter pen once I'm ready to start um, putting things together. But it all starts with a pen and piece of paper. Uh, I will then scan that paper into Evernote note because Evernote is my kind of project manager, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, a notes app. And from there I can pull out the tasks that need to happen. And I can pull out, like I can create a little timeline, which I do. I, I use a, a, an Evernote chart uh, table and I just create a timeline. So it's like, when, when are we in, 
like planning, uh, production, editing, and posting. So I, I tend to do a little timeline so I, I know where I'm at. Uh, and eventually, finally, once I've stre- pulled everything out, I'll create a, a spreadsheet. So it, it, and then the spreadsheet will become the outline. And so the task manager to do is, all to do is ever tells me is work on this online course. And, and that, the details are, uh, are, are elsewhere. Basically, the details are in Evernote, yeah. And the, yeah. I mean, I do have a direct link from that task. So, Todoist will say, let's say tomorrow I wake up and I look at my Todoist and it says, work on this online course. So, I click that task, it will open up the note in Evernote, and that will tell me where I'm at, what needs to happen next. Boom, we're off. Okay. And, and where is the paper planner in that? It, it's always at the beginning, and then the rest is uh, inside of, uh, of Todoist? Or, or, Actually, no, or it sinks not? down to the, the... The paper planner sinks down to the bottom of the Evernote note, because I scan it in after ah, okay. I've yeah. finished sketching yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, okay. But it all starts on paper. Um, and the only reason why is I'm not going to be carrying the piece of paper with me everywhere I go, but if I'm going to a meeting and the meeting is delayed, mm-hmm. I, I usually have an iPad with me and I can open up Evernote and all my notes are there, including the original plan, you know, sketching out ideas. So that's one of the, again, that's what I mean about the technology is when, uh, when I used to carry my Franklin planner around with me, <laughs> there's a lot of the stuff to carry. Right now you are carrying the iPad, which is a, a, a smaller Franklin planner, basically. <laughs> It is, but it's a lot slimmer. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good point. Tell me at which point uh, and in which tool uh, you are putting dates and time uh, on your tasks. Are you doing it rather in, inside of a task manager or rather are you using your car- calendar or maybe you have some, some other strategy for that? Uh, my calendar is where I block out... Uh, schedules for work, for types of work, different types of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this morning I had a, a two hour block for writing yesterday morning, the same. Now okay. that's all it says is writing. It's a two hour block of writing. Um, now to do this, we'll say write blog post, or it might say prepare podcast script. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Wednesdays, I can't, I can't remember yet. I haven't done my planning for tomorrow yet, which will be done later anyway. But Thursdays is, is a video recording day and Friday's morning is a video recording time. They're blocked off. And so I know on a week-to-week basis, because that's consistent. Uh, so I know on a week-to-week basis when I'm doing my different types of work. It's a little bit like, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, Mike Vardy. It's, uh, he has time... Uh, theming the, he calls it theming the day, theming the week. So he has set days in the week where he does set different types of work. Um, I'm not quite as strict as his system, but it is kind of similar because I know that the morning time for me is my best time. It's my most creative time and it's my most focused time. So I will do work that requires focus and thinking in the morning. And I generally keep afternoons free for the admin kind of work. So, okay. because I'm not as, I'm easily more, I'm, as I say, I'm not very easily distracted, but if I am going to be distracted, it's more likely to be in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> This is also my experience uh, that it's easier to, to be distracted in the afternoon. Uh, mm. And do you have, do you have a, a, a specific morning routine that you repeat every day or... Uh, It, it depends on the day, uh, how it is. No, um, I do. I, I, I actually, it's, it's just a kind of a habit now. I, when I wake up, I put on the kettle and uh, make coffee. I, I drink my lemon water, my lemon juice, uh, my, my squeezed lemon water. Um, I do some stretches for my shoulders because my personal trainer said that I have, I need more flexibility in my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I have, once my coffee is made, I then have uh, 10 minutes writing my journal, sometimes 15, but I write my journal. Then I check email and then I start the day. Okay. So yeah. in total, my, my morning routines generally takes about 25 to 30 minutes. And okay. it just I do it every morning. So it doesn't matter what time I wake up. Um, I will do it every morning when I wake up. And what kind of journaling do you do you prefer? Do you have a specific um, uh, strategy like the, the the five minute journal or something like that? Or no, just... no, I just I just dump my thoughts. Okay. Um, and there's always something to write. 
Um, I'm pretty sure that if I read back through it, a lot of it is quite boring, but um, <laughs> it's just the it's just the habit of I just there's just something about writing it down. Um, it's just a nice way to start the day. And I've tried all sorts of different journals. I've had the paper journal. I, I've used um, a paper journal for a long time. This year, I'm doing a test. I, my One of my goals is to do uh, a year of journaling in day one, which is a digital app, to see mm-hmm. if I like it, but really give it enough time. Um, so we're now into coming halfway through September. So um, I've kept it up every single day. And just to give it that little bit extra, I have to post a picture every day. A, a picture every day. This is cool because uh, yeah, after, one year, after one year, you mm. will have... Uh, a full year's worth of pictures, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 2020, it turns out, would be is a good year to do it because uh, when I started this project, we didn't know about COVID. <laughs> so no, it's been an interesting year from that point of view but um it's i think i'll probably go back to paper journaling at the end of the year but this is just an experiment i'm trying for a year to see what digital journaling is like i enjoy it it's quite nice and i do it on my ipad as well so um it it feels um i don't know i just like that that 10-15 minutes in the morning just for reflection if you like uh, do you write uh, handwritten notes on the iPad or, or do you... Uh, uh, no, no, I type it in, I type it in. But as okay. I say, I mean, I, I my main journey in the past up until... And it's just this at the moment, a digital journey is just an experiment, but I was paper journaling and I enjoy that as well. That's just really nice. Um, so... Mm. And, and how often do you review uh, what uh, you have journaled in the mornings? Do you have a review process? <laughs> no. It's just emptying my thoughts. I mean, okay. if I end it, uh, actually, one of the main reasons for doing it is actually, you. I'm a big believer in looking for patterns. So um, back in March, I had to go on a business trip over to Ireland. And uh, it was right at the beginning of March. I was there for a week. And when I came back, we went immediately almost into COVID lockdown. Mm-hmm. So suddenly all the gyms were closed. I was suffering from jet lag and I was completely thrown out of my daily routines. And I really struggled to get back onto Korean time and to get back into my exercise program. And it wasn't, and I started looking through my journal because I'd been in Ireland in January. Uh, I came back from Ireland in January. I spent Christmas in Ireland. And I, I looked at uh, my journal from January and thought, well, how did I get back on track back in January? And I looked and just, I kept a track of my exercise, when I'd exercised, when I'd slept. And I thought, right, I need to get a grip of this. And I just started mirroring what I did in January. Uh, and it, it got me back on track. And okay. so I was looking for the pattern because I knew when I came back in January, I was jet lagged. Uh, the only difference was the gym was open in January. So I just created a home gym. Mm-hmm. So I could do the same similar exercises at home rather than obviously I couldn't go to the gym. Uh, so I use the journal for looking for patterns. So if I find that I've gone off track somewhere, I can always go back into my journal and see, well, what was I doing when I was doing well? You know, what was I thinking? What was I doing? And it's a, it's a trigger to get me back on track. Okay, and uh, you are talking about uh, that your uh, your morning routine was completely off. And do you have some specific strategies to to building habits in general? Because uh, I know that you are a firm believer in in that um, repeating tasks and repeating things is building uh, towards your goals. And so, how to create uh, a habit? Well, the one thing that I found is the most powerful is doing a 30-day challenge. Um, now, the reason I say that is because you're you're applying uh, Seinfeld, I think it's Seinfeld, um, 30, uh, don't break the chain principle. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's happening here is you're changing something that is normally you consider a should do into a must do. Because if it's a 30-day challenge, you have to do it. Well, there's no excuses. Um, because it's gonna, a challenge. Yeah, and you've also committed to doing something every day for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually did this in August. It was one of the tricks I used to really get back on track with exercise. I set that as my 30-day challenge in, in August. Exercise for a minimum of 30 minutes every day in August. 
And the first seven days was the hardest. But after seven days, I knew I wasn't going to fail because there's no way I was going to break that chain. <laughs> By the time you got to day 15, you're halfway there and you think, yeah. no matter what, I am going to fight my way through this. And it just got easier, actually. And so on the 31st of August, I took one day off, hated it, and just restarted the challenge again in September. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, so what's happened now is when it gets to two, two to three o'clock in the afternoon here, um, I, I, for some reason, I just stand up and get changed into my exercise gear. And often I have no idea what exercise I'm going to do. But it's just now it's just automatic. You know, oh, it's two o'clock. I need to exercise. What am I going to do today? <laughs> um, uh, why it is two o'clock and not in the morning or not uh, late in the afternoon? Uh, exercising in the morning for me makes me feel ill. I don't know why. Always has done. Even when I was a teenager, I, it made me feel lightheaded and, and a bit feeling uh, sick. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I just don't do it. I mean, light exercise, like going for a walk, that, that's okay. But, you know, going running or, or lifting weights or something. Ugh, no, no, that would just, I don't, it doesn't work for me in the morning. Um, and I find actually doing it early afternoon and I'm lucky because I'm self-employed, but I find doing it early afternoon is a great way of breaking up the day because exercise gives you mental energy. Mm -hmm. And so after exercise, I can actually sit still for a little while <laughs> and I can get on with some work. So I generally try and do a little bit more focused work at that point. So okay. that's why I do it. Uh, when some, somebody will go uh, to your YouTube channel, they will see today at least a banner which says the time sector system. What is mm. the time sector system, Carl? Uh, the time sector system is my uh, method of managing my work. So essentially, uh, we have six sectors, actually, which is uh, this week, next week, this month, next month, and long term. And there's an extra one called routines. Mm -hmm. So six in total. Now, the routines one is for those little mundane things that you just have to do that it wouldn't be the end of the world if you didn't do, but they need to be done at specific times. The classic example is take the garbage out. Mm -hmm. uh, you take, I mean, here in Korea, we ha we're very lucky. We get three times a week, they collect the garbage. Um, that's Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So although I don't actually have that routine task, uh, because I know I've been, I've lived in Korea for nearly 20 years. I know when they collect the garbage, mm -hmm. um, But if I had moved to a new district and they had a different time when they collected the garbage, then that's something that would be in my routines. And there are other little things in my routines, things that just have to be done that are not important. One of the classic ones actually is like cleaning the back of the TV because um, it gets dusty. And yeah. it's one of those areas that we tend to forget because we don't see it. So every week I have a task that comes up on a Saturday that says clean... <laughs> <laughs> clean uh, back of TV and computer monitor because that's another one I would forget. Um, so those are like routines. And then, but for, so this week is all about the tasks that I need to get done this week because that's all that matters. Those tasks will be dated. Uh, anything else, I just decide when am I going to do it? Okay, this needs to be done next week. So I just throw the task in there. I don't need to look at it now until I do my weekly planning on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then I can decide when am I going to do it. So, okay, so that's in a nutshell the, the time sector system. It's basically based your your tasks are based around time, not projects. Yeah, uh, this is also my my experience that uh, simplifying what you have to do and not really uh, uh, entangling uh, you in in the projects in the areas that that is why uh, for example i don't really like the the gtd method uh, we have spoken about earlier in this mm. podcast because because there is too much to to label things about actually in the gtd method for me at least mm. uh, and simplifying down uh, what you have to do today this week this month And that's all. <laughs> It really works uh, also for me. And and this is uh, actually something that uh, I've seen is 
is making me uh, advance in my projects. Uh, you talk also often about how to set goals and achieve those goals. Uh, could you please tell me why uh, why you think it is important to set goals? Because I have seen a lot of the times around me that people are actually afraid of setting goals because they are af afraid of of not achieving them and of failing actually. Mm -hmm. And so, how how could you? How could you convince someone that setting goals is really uh, better than not setting them? Well, uh, earlier you mentioned about uh, human limitation, and um, one of the and I, one of the problems we have is limiting beliefs, false beliefs, actually. Um, and one of the things I think we have, and this is probably a, a problem with the education system around the world, is that we tend to consider failure as a bad thing. Yeah. And I think that is wrong. I think failure is a brilliant thing because without failure, we never learn. Mm -hmm. If everything we did was successful, we didn't learn anything. We learn by making mistakes. That's how I've always learned. Uh, I've learned by making mistakes. It's how we all learn, basically. We, we learn by making mistakes. So failure is a great thing and we should embrace it. So I, I'm always challenging myself to things that when I start out, I'm likely to fail. But what I find is I actually find where I don't have the skills or I need to improve something. And then, then I can move forward. Then I can grow. So the, the first thing we have to be kind of change that mindset from failure is a bad thing to failure is a great thing because that's how we grow. We learn from those failures. You're advocating basically uh, to try new things and to see how it will go. But there is a difference for me, at least, between trying and setting a goal. If I say, okay, I have started a new podcast and I want to have uh, 100,000 uh, listens monthly in, in one year, this is a pretty concrete, a, a, a very tangible goal that I have set. And uh, I, I think that I would probably be... Uh, it's not something that is in my control really how much people uh, will listen to my podcast for example and you have a lot I... more control than you think and the reason i say that is is because uh when i started my youtube channel there were several of us who actually started around about the same time yeah um i could i think it was about 20 people I, i if i can remember that back then um how many do you know how many people are left two From that original, two, me and Francesco, Fran yeah. uh, Francesco D'Alessio and myself, we all start, actually Francesco started about a year before me, but there's about, actually there's three because there's a guy called Kevin as well in the in UK. That's it. Everyone else has disappeared. And if you want to, if you want to reach a hundred thousand downloads or a million downloads or whatever of your podcast, um, there is only one way to do it. Just Don't quit. Yeah. Just keep publishing. And the other, I mean, there is the beauty of this is there's roadmaps everywhere. Um, you know, people have done it before you. And the way is, if it's happened before, you can repeat it. But you've got to find what did they do. And the thing I found was, is that pretty much every person who has succeeded at whatever they've tried to do, they're the ones who didn't quit. They're less, they're likely to have been less talented than somebody else. Um, because... I think Angela Duckworth, she did a TED talk on a book called, oh, she actually wrote a book called Grit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think it's talked about enough, but I think it is so important. If you really want to succeed, you do need that grit. You've got to persevere. You've got to be consistent. I have a system, I call it PACT, which mm -hmm. is patience, action, consistency, and time. And what it means is you've got to be patient you've got to take action consistently over a period of time. And if you're not prepared to do that, you are going to fail. And, but one of the beauties of doing a podcast, a YouTube channel, or a blog, you're doing it week after week after week, you get better. Yeah. I mean, I love to go back and look at my first YouTube video. It makes me cry <laughs> because it is so bad but I will not bring it down. I will not take it down because it's a reminder of where I started and where I am today. And I can see the progress. Yeah. But if I looked at that video, say after six months, 
I would think, hmm, it's pretty good. I look at it today, five years later, four years later, and I think, oh my God, did I do that? <laughs> this kind so of I perspective think, is, is, is really enlightening. Oh, it, it really is. I mean, the key is just don't quit. But the thing about getting goals is the, the question you need to ask yourself is, why? Why do you want to achieve this target with your podcast? What's the purpose? And that's often a personal thing, but you have to be honest about the why, because if you don't have a strong enough why, you will quit. Um, I genuinely want, I've seen so many people suffering uh, because they just have so much work being thrown at them. And I know they can manage it. And I know that I've got the, the know-how to be able to share my knowledge, to be able to help them. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason why I do my videos every week. It's the reason why I do my podcast every week. It takes up a lot of time each week, but when I'm doing it, I'm reminded of the people I'm trying to help. And that's yeah. what keeps me motivated. And I love one of the reasons my podcast, actually, the, the way it's done is uh, I ask people to send in a question. And I will answer those questions every week. And it's absolutely brilliant because for my motivation, my why, they are giving me the why. They say, please yeah. help me. I'm having difficulty in this area. I'm going, yes. And I'm oh, this morning, I think I spent two and a half hours preparing a script on a fantastic question that was sent to me yesterday. And yeah, while I was writing, I went, I'm smiling. <laughs> You know, I don't get any money for the podcast. I, there's no commercial side to it at all. Um, I do it completely free. I'm paying, I think it's $20 a month for, to host it. Mm -hmm. And there's no advertising. There's no Patreon link to it. It's completely free of charge. It's because my why is I want to genuinely help people. And that's what keeps me going year after year, day after day, week after week. So basically... Uh, so when you get the why there, everything works. And, and the why should be rather linked to something deeper than, than only external validation. Like if I have 100,000 uh, listens, then it means I am a good podcaster. If I don't have them, it means I have uh, something left to do. Well, I mean, that might actually not be true, though. If you have, um, I mean, I've you may have a hundred thousand podcasters and you could be a terrible uh, listeners, but you could yeah. be a terrible podcaster. Um, but you might have 10,000 listeners and be the best podcaster out there. It really, I mean, it's how you're judging what the podcasting is. Um, yeah, I think Joe Rogan is probably the number one podcaster in the world. But if yeah. you think about where he came from, he's got, you know, he's a very famous comedian. Um, he gets some incredibly famous guests on there. Uh, I think he is a great podcaster, but you know, I'm sure there's people out there who think he's a terrible podcaster. It's a very subjective way of measuring it. Mm -hmm. um, but if, you're, if your reason for doing it is because you genuinely want to help people, you will keep going. And if you had uh, to give some advice to a new uh, creator who is thinking about creating a podcast or a YouTube channel right now today, what would be your advice? How to start. Don't look at the numbers. Okay. Just don't look at the numbers. Um, but the thing is, um, okay, you've got to start and you've got to start putting content out there. Um, there's, there's some kind of, thing, I would say, guidelines. If it's a podcast, it needs to be weekly. Uh, YouTube, you're probably looking again weekly now. Uh, maybe you can do a little bit longer, maybe every 10 days, 14 days with YouTube, but podcasting weekly, blogging weekly. So you've got to be getting content out there every single week. And you can't just say, I'm going to do this for a month or two. I would say if you want to succeed at blogging, podcasting, and YouTubing, you need to set, commit yourself to four years because mm -hmm. it will take you four years. Okay. Uh, Almost everyone, if you, I mean, these days, Seth Godin, who's one of the world's top bloggers, I mean, he started blogging in 2002. Nobody heard of him until about 2006. Yeah, and he's writing every day, actually. <laughs> he writes every day, yeah. Um, but I, also one of the top YouTubers, a guy called Casey Neistat, um, although he's not been around for a couple of years, But if you go back to when he started, it was every single day there was a there was a post, and it wasn't just for a few weeks; it was for like four or five years. 
Uh, he, he started again three days ago to make. I know. Uh, I, I saw. I saw. I see <laughs> Yeah, he started making the videos again. So yeah. he obviously got bored and started again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, Carl. Uh, one last question before before we finish. I think if you could keep just one analog thing in your life, what what would it be? Uh, oh, it would be my journal. Okay. I still have it. I still have my paper journal. And although I haven't written in it for a long time, uh, if I had one piece of analog material, I, I would still have, I still have it. I mean, I, it's not if, I do have it. It's mm -hmm. there, it's right behind me and I can pull it out at any time. Because there's just something about pen on paper and connecting to your mind that this is why I say when I'm planning out projects, I do it on paper because it's just a great place. But the thing about the paper journal for me is that the digital technology could disappear. Uh, you know, the, the server somewhere in the, wherever they have in the you know, desert might break down. I could lose everything. With paper, sure, it can be destroyed by water and fire and stuff, but You know, there's just something about it. I mean, I've oh, I, I love reading. Go, I will read through those paper ones and realize that my handwriting is so bad, but <laughs> but I still enjoy it. It's just the journal. The paper journal is something I wouldn't let go. So please uh, tell tell people who are looking at this podcast on YouTube and, and listening on the podcast RSS how to find you online. At Pullin. Best way to find me is just go to my website, which is carlpullin.com. Okay. Uh, you can get to my YouTube channel, uh, everything from there, podcast, everything, courses, and uh, all the uh, all the, and your podcast also because you are also a podcaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you very much, Carl, uh, and uh, oh, you're welcome, and see you online. Yes, <laughs> thank you for having me on.